Retailers deal with all those nasty holiday returns. The government releases a blueprint for decarbonizing transportation. And top tech trends for 2023. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Beckoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Beckoff. Is digital transformation done right? For more information, please visit beckoff.com slash intralogistics. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the holiday season is over for another year, and most of us have taken down the trees and put the lights away by now. But for retailers, there's still a lot to be done, including dealing with the many shopping returns they must now process. How are they handling them this year? To find out, here's Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. Holiday traffic ticked up at brick-and-mortar stores this peak season, of course, uh, despite those higher prices and tighter credit conditions across the economy. And that means that retailers are now confronting an increase in product returns. As we speak, some of those peak season purchases are still trickling back to stores and websites, and that can cause some real financial pain. Here today to talk about trends and strategies with returns is Brandon Eisner, who is America's head of retail research for CBRE, the big industrial real estate firm. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, first of all, let's look at the numbers. CBRE, in a recent report from you guys, quotes the reverse logistics company Optoro as predicting that some $135 billion in goods will be returned. Uh, that's both online and in-store in the U.S. between Thanksgiving and the end of January. Uh, so we're not quite there uh, through the end of the month. Uh, that's up 12.5% from last year. So even though, of course, the American retail sector is enormous, uh, those figures are really significant, right? They definitely are. And, you know, it's um, coined the term reverse logistics, which is a whole entirely separate business, you know, just geared around uh, returns of, of retail goods. And, and you know, I was reading, you know, I've been reading some of the reports that have been coming out, and yeah, you're right. I, I think Salesforce predicted that um, 13% of online orders were returned. So it's uh, it's definitely big business, It's and it's one of those businesses where you don't see a lot of it on the surface, but, you know, under, under, the, under the surface of the water, the current is very rapid and very turbulent, and a lot of people are working in a lot of different places to get those returns back to where they need to be. Right. I'd, I'd like that image of the underwater flow that most people aren't aware of. Um, and and that, that kind of brings me to my next question, because, you know, when we talk about the dollar values involved here, like that, the big numbers we just mentioned, um, that represents just the, the sticker price on the goods, right? It doesn't include the entire cost of dealing with them from the retailer's point of view. Uh, you know, there's uh, the, the, the shipping to send it back, the labor to deal with it, the real estate uh, to have a place to put them all and sort them and then truck them to another place when you're done. Uh, it just goes on and on, right? No, Ben, that, that's completely correct. And, you know, that, that's another thing where, you know, when the item is returned, it's not like the retailer just gets that item back and, you know, nothing's lost. Uh, my uh, my colleagues on, on the industrial side have estimated that 
you know, 66% of, of the value of that good you know, comes back in, in regard to logistics costs and labor costs. And, and so it's, it's, it's definitely an expense. And so when, when retailers deal with people that might order three or four things with the intent of returning three of them, uh, all that adds up. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of companies are coming to the reality that e-commerce is very expensive. And uh, you know, not just in uh, you know, fulfillment of orders, but in, in the return orders as well. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a, a lot of goods, of course, are returned to the retail stores where people personally bought them physically. Um, but a whole lot of others are mailed back to an e-commerce, you know, retail website. Uh, of course, you don't email it. You don't mail it to the website. It goes to a DC somewhere. Um, so, do those two flows ever end up in the same warehouse, or are they completely independent streams, or how does that work? You know, there's there's a lot of different quarters, and and you know, you're you're correct. You know, the first thing that you mentioned is is kind of interesting. What we've been seeing, and you know, we recently launched our global global live work shop report, and I was able to take from that, you know, some some of the data. We we did a survey of twenty thousand people across the globe, and so I, I dove into the data that was U.S. based, and there's some really interesting findings. You know, 54% of people uh, prefer to return online orders in store, and uh, so that's that can actually be a good thing. Uh, it, it might make it more complicated to get those items back to the warehouse, but it's it, it's yet another uh, it, it's yet another channel. That, that that can accept returns and and it, you know it allows the retailer to reestablish a relationship with that customer, uh, maybe even lead to an additional sale, not just the return. And so so you're you're dealing with that also, and and, and it's really kind of an interesting brew because you know stores are going to have to start thinking about their so they they have so much space within within the store, but. Uh, you know, in, in the long past, that 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 space was dedicated to selling and then you know backroom space, but now there's a lot of heightened interest in having better space for returns and and just to be able to handle that and to not affect the rest of business going forward and and to have someone there that can then establish a, a, a reestablish the relationship with the customer. So th there's there's a lot changing. You know, it, but but you're right. It's it's you know talking about that turbulence. Um, there's there's a lot of ways that things get back. You know, some companies have third party uh, logistics companies handle that for them. So it's um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different channels on how that all happens. Really interesting stuff. Uh, and and speaking of that relationship with the customer, many major retailers, maybe most of them this season, offer free returns. Uh, they mm -hmm. cover the shipping and, and the rest of all those extra costs. But uh, as we've done some reporting, my colleague Victoria has written on this as well, some of those rising numbers, um, you know, some of the com companies are thinking twice about the free part. Uh, right, yeah. They start charging uh, shoppers to return uh, th those items. Uh, are you seeing that you know, happen as well? Yes, I, I think that that it's going to have to happen and because it's again you're talking earlier about you know how much how much cost goes into that and then if you think about the last couple of years just think about the logistics costs and how they've risen uh you know fuel prices uh salaries for drivers uh warehouse space is increased in cost and so th there's there's a lot of cost in this but but you know it, it's an interesting front 
that they're dealing with because on the consumer side, in another interesting takeaway from, from the US data from our Global Live Workshop report is that 56% uh, of people uh, agree with the statement that I will not shop from an e-commerce retailer if there is no free return. And, and those, that data you know, opposed to just up 17% who disagreed. And, and th those numbers are consistent. You know, we broke it down by where people live and their age group and, and educational component. And, and that, those numbers are fairly consistent. So you know, a lot of people, they don't really want to pay for, for uh, the cost for, for, uh, for returns. Uh, so there's gonna have to be some give and take between those, those two parties and, and what happens going forward because Again, it is expensive. Yeah, those are two big forces clashing because uh, CBRE, I know, and in, in, in uh, other research, also references that there's a typical e-commerce, at least, return rate of between 15 and 30 percent of, of goods that are bought. Which, I mean, on the high end, that's nearly one in three items that are bought. Uh, so it's, it seems like this trend, um, with, with, despite all the changes, it, is really here to stay. It, it probably is, and you do have some people that are starting to think about. You know, what, one of the one of the big topics that that we get asked about a lot are uh, are you know, ESG strategies and and focusing on that E on on the environmental uh, impacts of of things. And, uh, and there's some people out there that are trying to consume less in order to you know ease up their footprint, and and some people are are thinking about that in terms of e-commerce because you know, a lot of things come in plastics and boxes and, 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 you know, it can create a considerable amount of waste for, for just one thing. And then you think about the return process uh, in order to make a smooth return, a lot of retailers and, and e-commerce retailers will, will have extra boxes with it. So they can have a quick and easy return that that's already post dated. And so are already posted. Uh, and so, I, I think you're right. It's it's. I think the trend is probably here to stay. That the returns are always going to be an issue, but you know the good news is is that there's there's probably a uh, you know a technology solution in that. You know, there, there's some retailers that are already starting to um, put to implement drone delivery. You know what what if uh, we could return things by drone in in ten years? So. Uh, it's not going to go away that people will want to return things. Heck, I, I have a few things that I need to return from, from this holiday still uh, that I need to get on because I'm, I'm behind the statistics that I'm quoting. Uh, but, um, but no, it's, you know, gift giving is difficult. Gift giving actually is one of the highest penetrated e-commerce categories of retail. Um, you know, most people prefer, e you know, prefer online to buy gifts. And so that's just a reality of the holiday season and any gift giving season that uh, there, there's going to be you know, high e-commerce sales and there will be a high number of returns. It's, it's just a reality. And you know, perhaps technology can help streamline it and, and maybe make it more efficient uh, going forward. It's really, really interesting stuff, and, uh, and and one of those things that touches um, re really most of us. Uh, Brandon, we really appreciate your uh, coming on the show to uh, talk us through some of these trends today. Happy to be here. Yeah, anytime. Happy to help. Uh, thank you. Our guest here today has been Brandon Eisner from CBRE. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Brandon and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, the government this week released a blueprint for decarbonizing our nation's transportation sector. 
you wrote on that topic. Can you share the details and what it means moving forward? Absolutely, Dave. Happy to. So yeah, the um, Biden administration took a step closer to its emissions reductions uh, reduction goals this week uh, with the release of an interagency blueprint to decarbonize the nation's transportation industry. The plan addresses all passenger and freight travel modes and fuels, and it's actually the first deliverable following an agreement last year between the U.S. Departments of Energy, Transportation, housing and urban development, and the Environmental Protection Agency. In a nutshell, the blueprint lays out a plan for achieving the administration's goals to secure a 100% clean electrical grid by 2035 and achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Among the goals that uh, the um, agencies identified this week, uh, they want to aim for 30% of sales of new medium and heavy duty trucks and buses to be zero emission by 2030, and for 100% of them to be zero emission by 2040. They also say they'll ensure that 100% of the federal fleet of such vehicles is zero emission by 2035. The agencies also want to encourage greater use of rail for passenger and freight travel, that's to reduce emissions from road vehicles. And they want to increase production of sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, to at least 3 billion gallons per year by 2030 and approximately 35 billion gallons by 2050. And they say that's enough to supply uh, the entire sector. The specifics are still to come, and the agencies involved say they'll develop plans in conjunction with other groups, uh, state and local agencies, philanthropic organizations, and the like. Um, and these efforts are actually linked to last year's Inflation Reduction Act, which includes a range of climate-related goals and incentives this administration has been working on since the president took office. Yeah, those all sound like uh, good ambitions, but how's the industry reacting to these goals? Yeah, you're right. Well, the blueprint was released earlier this week. I think it was Tuesday, so it's still new. Um, and of course, um, as I mentioned, the specifics, you know, specific plans are still to come. But there are actually some concerns over aspects of the administration's net zero goals in, in relation to alternative fuels. Um, a group called the National Association of Truck Stop Owners, or NATSO, um, and another group called Sigma, which represents fuel marketers and convenience store chains, say they're worried about the implications of fuel policies on the trucking industry. Uh, they say the administration is incentivizing investments in sustainable aviation fuel, or SAF, as I mentioned earlier, over trucking industry renewables such as biodiesel, which have been used for more than a decade to lower emissions in trucking. I guess they, they explain that the use of SAF is, is less uh, prevalent. Essentially, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, which I also mentioned, it, it awards a higher tax credit for SAF than for biodiesel and similar trucking industry renewal, renewables. And this week's blueprint sort of emphasizes those incentives. So NATSO and Sigma are arguing that because both both of those fuels, SAF and biodiesel, they come from the same feedstocks, so they're made from the same thing, producers will be incentivized to make SAF rather than biodiesel, and that may lead to lower availability and higher pricing of clean fuels for trucking. Um, their argument is that parity between the tax cre credits is really needed to ensure that producers continue to make biofuels for trucking fleets. So they'd like to see you know, both fuels promoted equally. I spoke to leaders at both groups, um, and they also expressed concern this issue could affect Trump, uh, trucking companies' sustainability efforts under ESG goals, which Ben and our guests mentioned ESG earlier, it's environmental, social, and governance. Um, the use of renewable fuels um, is a really prominent way for 
trucking companies, 3PLs, to um, enhance their ESG scores. So limiting access to biodiesel and similar fuels um, or making it you know, more difficult for them to afford those fuels will put a damper on those efforts. Uh, so that's a concern. David Fialkov, who's Executive Vice President of Government Affairs for NATSO and Sigma, said he expects uh, this issue to come under some scrutiny uh, as the Inflation Reduction Act and related policies are, are implemented. Uh, he told me he expects some members of Congress, including the new majority in the House, will be um, maybe interested in examining whether or not it makes sense to keep a heightened credit for SAF. So as you said at the outset, good news that we continue to move toward a greener transportation market, but there still are some issues that may need uh, further work or discussion right. uh, potentially. And I assume like most government efforts to transform industries, it will take a while and I'm sure a lot of the details yes. will need to be worked out before we see any kind of meaningful impact on it. That's right. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about what many insiders feel will be the tech trends of 2023 for our supply chains. Can you tell us what topped the lists? Yeah, glad to. Um, it, it's early January, so uh, at every time, every year about this time, vendors and analysts uh, love to talk about um, what, what you just mentioned, which, which of these uh, buzzy and popular tech trends will really hit it big in the new year. That conversation is a little more complicated this year because of all the market volatility we're familiar with, the inflation, the high interest rates, the supply chain delays, all that stuff. Despite those challenges, uh, there's a New York-based analyst firm called ABI Research, and they took a shot at making the, their predictions anyway. Uh, one of the interesting parts to me was their list of top technologies that may have a lot of speculation and commentary, but probably will not shape any big markets in 2023. So some of those biggest flops or maybe they're just delays could include uh, the industrial metaverse, 5G fifth generation wearables, printed electronics, and satellite to cellular services. So in case you're wondering, I dug into the definition of some of those, um, particularly the industrial metaverse. Uh, that would be how staffers at industrial and manufacturing firms create online avatars of, of themselves for each person and then solve work challenges in virtual worlds. So instead of going down that road, um, API Research said, uh, companies are more likely to spend on more proven solutions uh, like maybe developing better feedback loops between design teams, engineering teams, manufacturing teams, uh, or like the digital twins that we often write about, uh, that which mirror the machines and production lines and facilities that the companies use. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear about some of those things that we won't see, but did the report also forecast the trends that will make it? Uh, yes, of course. ABI also named dozens of technology innovations that they think will likely bear fruit in the new year. Uh, they highlighted things like foldable electronic devices. Uh, you may have seen some television ads for um, hinged smartphones, I guess. Uh, artificial intelligence in our smartphones. Uh, growth in wearables. Uh, private cellular networks at outdoor venues, talking about stadiums maybe or factories. Uh, and enterprise virtual reality. So again, to look at a couple definitions here, um, AI and smartphones include some things we're already familiar with like voice assistance. Um, and, and smart photographs, as well as developing use cases like um, immersive multimedia, gaming, better security. Uh, growth in wearables uh, could include applications like uh, bone conduction headphones 
um, that sounds funny, but it has roots in the hearing aid devices because they bypass the eardrum and they send the vibrations directly into your inner ear. Uh, so that could grow into wider use. Uh, and wearables could also include things like fitness tracking, uh, you know, for sports and, and also for medical uses like, like monitoring patients' uh, conditions. And finally, enterprise VR um, is when you use VR for training. So ABI research says that's helpful because it allows users to have infinite adjustment and repetition. They can go over and over a certain case. Um, and of course, it's great for remote or offsite training. So uh, those things can really help cut costs. Uh, so there's some neat stuff here. Uh, and we're watching the free market do its thing, uh, which is to sort out the new technologies that really work and uh, and provide ROI from the ones that may be just a flash in the pan. Uh, but we'll we'll keep covering all these things as, as it plays out over the year. Yep, that's the beauty of innovation in our market. It's a good idea usually flourish and can make a lasting impact. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on to the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Brandon Eisner of CBRE for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Beckoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Beckoff. It's digital transformation done right. For more information, please visit beckoff.com slash intralogistics. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we'll look at cybersecurity and our guest will be retired General Brett Williams, the former head of the U.S. Cyber Command. So be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.